Real style is about much more than fashion. Real style starts with being comfortable in your own skin. Let's take a journey inside style with your host, style expert, George Worrell. Welcome to Inside Style, DC Radio 96.3 HD4. I'm your host, George Worrell. Thank you for tuning in today. Today is a special show. We are going to talk about men and women in recovery, living life on life's terms. I have the pleasure of welcoming my old friend, real estate broker, Scott Purcell. Scott, welcome. Hi, George. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Well, first, I want to congratulate you on that major sell of the Ambassador's res- uh, re- Residence yeah. on uh, R Street, Northwest DuPont Circle. Thank you. That was huge. It was difficult. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Anything that's, you know, worth is a little difficult. Can you just tell us just a little bit about that? Well, yeah, they had been through like three or four different brokers before me. Mm-hmm. Um, that property actually was an environmental nightmare. Okay. Um, asbestos, uh, lead paint. Okay. Um, so uh, we procured a buyer actually that was Pakistani mm-hmm. that lived in Texas. Okay. Um, he owns a company called Tweaker Energy Drinks. Okay. So uh, he paid cash for it. Um, in 30 days, I mean, wired the money over. So it was very streamlined uh, for me, but getting to that point was very difficult. Mm -hmm. But you didn't give up. No. So, and uh, so talking about not giving up, you hail from the wonderful, from Pittsburgh, I understand. That's correct. I didn't know that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what brought you here to Washington? Well, my mother, let me just start. So my mother was a single mother. I never met my father. Mm -hmm. So she was very ambitious and she, came down here in 1967 and took the civil service exam and passed. Mm. Got a job at the Postal Service. Then she started to move up the ranks. And I lived with my grandparents during that time. And when she moved up the ranks, she sent for me. And we lived in the suburbs uh, in Kensington, Maryland. Uh, She got remarried. And uh, then she really moved up the ranks. Um, For someone without a college degree, she ended up managing the procurement section of the Postal Service uh, Mm -hmm. until she retired. So that was um, a good influence for me. Mm. So you you went to school here in Washington? I I actually went to high school in Montgomery County, right outside of Washington. Okay. So what was life like for you and, you know, on your journey? Like, so it seems like uh, our journeys are parallel, like these wonderful ways of growing up. I grew up with my, both my parents in Atlantic City. And, you know, my parents didn't drink or anything. And um, I don't know what it was. I mean, I guess, well, I do know what it was. My, my grandfather, my mother's father, was an alcoholic. And um, they say sometimes it skips a generation. But there was nothing growing up that said you know, stereotypically that I should be an alcoholic. Yeah. So what was it like that you thought doing that journey that made that left turn? I'll tell you exactly what happened. When I moved here from Pittsburgh, um, coming from, you know, a black lower middle class, but, you know, we idolized at that time, I'm going to give my eight, you know, show me. We idolized Michael Jackson, the Jackson five. What okay. was it? So yeah, we all we tried all to dress like that. Right, right, right. So I had a big pretty fro <laughs> and I wore my platforms and I wore my belt out sleeves and all that stuff. When I came down here, I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood and they had never seen anybody live and in person like me. Mm-hmm. So I began being called the N word. 
mm. chased home, you know, and I was, after the first couple of months, well, actually my first day of school, somebody called me and word, and I was like, what? And I punched him in the face, and I got suspended, not the other. So what eventually happened was during my sixth grade year, I gravitated toward people that would accept me, and those were the people that were actually out carousing and, and using drugs and getting high because they didn't really have any expectation of any sort of um, um, any sort of expectation of a greater purpose in their lives because their parents didn't either. That was it. Yeah, that was all. Yeah. It was really quite something I look back on. And my mother and my stepfather were like, well, my stepfather had a master's degree in, mm-hmm. in English and in psychology. My mother, like I said, never went to college. But he was like, why are you hanging out with these people? And I'm, <laughs> you know, so it progressively got worse. So um, in seventh grade, uh, I got expelled from the Montgomery County school system, period. So I had to go to private school. Then I got expelled from there. Mm-hmm. And then my mother petitioned the school, to the, the, the Montgomery County school system to allow me back in. So during that whole period of time, I, I was still floundering, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I continued to flounder. When did you start drinking or did you? What was your? But the first drink I ever had, I was 10 years old. Um, and I actually got that from my mother on uh, New Year's Eve. It was mm-hmm. just a small little glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. Which you know, people think is innocent. Yeah, but it yeah. really wasn't. It kind of, you know, let the tiger out of the cage for me because by the time I was 12, I was smoking marijuana on a regular basis. Um, by the time I was 13, 14, I was using a variety of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was 18, uh, I was using heroin on a regular basis. Uh, so I used heroin from the time I was 18 through uh, 37 years of age. I know for me, it just felt it was an escape. Like I couldn't deal or, or didn't want to deal with reality. Yes, it was a coping mechanism. Yeah, like there were things around me. You know, I always say when people say there are three strikes. And for me, it was being male, black and gay. Yeah. And there was nothing that I could see that worse is not the good word, but, but it was just a, a strong stigma because you were getting it from the church. You were getting it from women. You were getting it from family members. Although I must say my, my family, I'm an only child. were very supportive, but they just never talked about anything. Right. Um, I was more of a late bloomer after I got out of college. I just, you know, just Philadelphia was it like mm. Philadelphia, and there was a place called Smart Place. And, you know, I love to dance. And like you said, all of these people um, were self-accepting and it just felt like it was just us. Mm-hmm. But on Sundays was the loneliest time for me because everybody went home and I had no place to go. And it just felt like really like just I can identify with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, and you don't really realize all of that until, you know, at some point, you know, you find a better way. And um, what was that for you? Well, so um, I lived on the streets until I was 37 years old. And I did manage to have you know, odd jobs as waiter here and there, that kind of thing. But that same sort of experience, you know, at the end of the day, when everyone else would go home, I would have nowhere to go. And it was, you know, 
two o'clock in the morning. So I go find a bench somewhere to sleep on. And I can only do that for a certain period of time. So, so throughout my twenties and most of my thirties, I in and out of, you know, being incarcerated and living on the streets and that sort of thing. So what happened was I still attribute this to grace was, uh, I was panhandling change and, um, Somebody came up and put a piece of paper in my cup. And I don't know why I kept that piece of paper, but I did. And it was the name of a treatment facility. So I kept it. I don't know why. Um, And a few weeks later, I got stabbed in the neck. And I went uh, to the hospital and I was like, okay, well, there's this treatment facility. So I guess I'll go in there and, you know, get cleaned up and, you know, get a room somewhere and continue my using. But... What happened when I was in treatment, something happened, and I have no idea to this day what it was, except that uh, the desire to use any drugs or alcohol just was lifted from me. Um, And uh, I call that grace because I had no control over it. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't my decision. Uh, And that was uh, 26 years ago. So, Mm. uh, wow. And then you got into your field um, of real estate. Yes. Yeah. And it's just been an amazing journey. How do you um, do every day? Like, for me, I got clean when I was 34. It'll be 28 years tomorrow, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations to you as well. That um, I had this drive. I've always had the drive. But the alcohol kind of nixed that. I didn't have the courage to do it. So like coming into the rooms and, you know, going to meetings every day and listening to people and people older than we were in it and, and taking the direction and doing it. But, and I remember hearing something um, when I was in a recovery house and there were six of us and they were like, only two or three of you are going to make it. And I knew (laughs) just hands down, I was one of those people that were going to make it. And it was just, it was tunnel vision. But as I stayed cleaner longer, I had to, um, because I felt like I had to make up for lost time. Yeah. So it was one thing to the next, like one, like goal to the next. And I never really enjoyed it. Like, so when I wrote a book called On the Other Side of Style, I had forgotten all of the stuff of some of the accomplishments that I had done because I was constantly trying to make up for time. And so that's one of the things that I've learned in coping is to slow down a little bit and enjoy the time that and the things that are happening, like one like the show or, you know, filming another a TV show or things like that, or just dreams. So did you have dreams? Well, when I first got out of treatment, or actually while I was in treatment, I got a job as a waiter. Good job. At the Tabard Inn, making money, saving money. So then I got an apartment. I was like, wow, I got my (laughs) own apartment. I can't believe this. And then I started feeling like, you know, I could do more than this. This is, and my sponsor at the time says, well, you like buildings. You always talk about buildings. Get your real estate license. Oh, I could never pass that test. He says, just try it. So I did. And I got affiliated with a manager that apparently saw more in me than I saw myself. And she said, if you do what I tell you to do, you will be successful. And I was really scared. I was like, okay, I'll do whatever. 
So my first year, I was the rookie of the year for Long and Foster, hmm. which was quite something because I'd never, let me tell you something, I had never touched a computer. I didn't even know how to use a fax machine. <laughs> I didn't. Welcome to the club. When I first started. So then, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden I'm rookie of the year and th that brought a lot of pressure. You know, because I was like, oh, now I have to live up this expectation. But then things just started to, to, to materialize for me mm -hmm. until the crash of 2008. Then I was like, well, what do you do then? So fortunately, uh, I was on the board of directors for a organization called the Festival Center in Adams Morgan. And I met a commercial real estate broker there who was actually much larger than I thought that he was. He was one of the principals in BlackRock, and his wife was the vice president of the Simon Corporation, which is the largest mall holder in, in the country. And I had no idea who these people were. Mm -hmm. But he says, you know, as long as you're selling houses, you'll never be successful. He goes, you know, you need to transfer over. And it's I was commercial? Like, yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. He says, go take these classes. So I started taking classes and learned about leasing. Then I learned about valuating multifamily properties and retail properties. And and it took a while. I mean, it really did. I was broke for a while. I was probably broke for five years. I mean, you know, I they repossessed my car at one point. I mean, I was really... But then all of a sudden, I started to see a glimmer of light. But then let's stop there for a second. So that's the point. So I, 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 when I talk with friends, we always see the story of the beginning when there's nothing. Yeah. And then at the end when there's a lot. Yeah. But we very rarely hear like the journey in between. Yeah. Which is, you know, do I buy food or do I pay my phone bill so that my clients can get a hold of me? Right. Or do, you know, I get hamburger or do I get oodles and noodles? You right. know what I mean? Like right. those sacrifices That's because right. although you're your own boss and there's certain things outside that that mirror needs to look like for you. You have to look successful. I always say that people, for the most part in thinking, help people who look like they don't need help mm -hmm. as opposed to people who need help. Perception is reality. All day, <laughs> every day. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so how you how you. You know, pull up what you pull up in, how you're dressed, you know, um, that's part of what we both do. How does that that fashion piece fit into what you're doing? It really depends on the client. So if I'm showing office property, I absolutely have to have a suit on. If I'm showing retail property, business casual is enough. And the occasional uh, residential property that I well, it depends on the price point, actually. The upper bracket, like, for instance, I just sold a house to the uh, ambassador of the Bahamas. Okay. So that was $3.6 million. So his expectation mm -hmm. was that you wore a suit and tie every day. I didn't. He didn't have to tell me that. I already knew that. So it just depends. But for the most part, uh, I try and um, whatever I'm wearing, it always has to match and always has to be clean. Perfect. Like my tennis shoes are always perfectly white. You know, there's no dingy, right. you know, none of that. But that's probably something inner as well. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, but... Remember I told you I love Michael Jackson. That's what I was raised. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a journey and it's, it's rewarding, but also too... Many times it's the committee. And when I talk about the committee, it's in my head that are things that are telling me, um, for the most part, positive now. 
but there are days that it's not. That's right. And knowing when to turn it off and when to, you know, if I haven't, if I've submitted something and I haven't heard, oh, they're not going to call me. Why would they, you know, and then maybe three days later, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. We were away. We meant to get to you, you know, meant to send the email. And then it's, that's happened over and over again. No, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) But it's life. And I have to remind myself on a daily basis as well. I don't know about you is gratitude. And that's what my sponsor long ago told me is like, do you have a gratitude list? When you're feeling down or you're feeling whatever, what are you grateful for? It's, trust me, it's been worse. Exactly. <laughs> it can get worse. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, exactly. How do you feel about that? I, well, I'll tell you what, my, what, what I do on a daily basis. So I get up at 530. I do a positive. I post one black fact on Facebook. And I saw a, that. Yeah. And then a positive affirmation every day. Then I go to the gym. But before that, I always pray. Mm-hmm. Thank you, God. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for my roof. Mm-hmm. Thank you for my health. Mm-hmm. Then I go through my routine, go to the gym, dress to the office, generally by the, in the office by 930. So for me, another thing that I do, not all the time, but if I see somebody on the street asking for change, I'll give them some money. And people were like, why, why are you enabling them? No. 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 It's because the little bit of money I give them will help them more than it will hurt me. So that is an expression of gratitude as well. Because I there were times when I couldn't do that, right? So gratitude is a part of my inner working on a daily basis. But but I'm also Grace is probably a lot more important to me because grace is given to people that don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I think, think everybody can identify with that. I know I can't. Yeah. Know. I mean, yeah. I've been blessed with all these things. And so I just have to remember that uh, that grace is is pro- the, primary, the primary driving factor in my life. But I'm also very grateful for everything that I have. Yeah, but you also have to work to keep it. You have well, to work to get it. Well, there's nothing that's free. And you have to work to keep it. That's right. And um, reinvention, I know for me, um, for what I do, um, from event planning to fashion to styling and now teaching it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, um, I, I, I didn't want, like my parents had this stellar work career, but they did the same thing throughout their career. Mm-hmm. And your parents I, are very sharp, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and I wrote a book, you know, and I thought about it. Um, I wrote a book which is actually being republished called Guide in Wool. I'll make sure you get a copy. Okay. And I was like, where did all of this come from? Because this was not something that I was trained on, I'm a history major. And uh, I started looking. My parents had all these old photos, and I got them from relatives and stuff. And I saw, and probably we grew up in a time when people dressed. Yes. Like, there was clothes for church. There was clothes for work. I had play clothes. Yes. There were travel clothes. All this kind of stuff. So, there was all of these pictures. And these people didn't have a whole lot of money. Right. But they were very well-groomed. They were very well-mannered. And um, they had a drive that um, surpassed racism, surpassed sexism. Um, and then I came from that stock. So it was inevitable for me, and from what you're saying, you, that success was coming. Yes. Now, 
there were things that I'm still learning, but um, that drive and that sense of who I am and where I came from is most important and giving it like we said we were talking earlier we do the Marion Barry summer youth program this is like was our seventh year and the thing that I want to give the kids um is that one you need to know who Marion Barry is second you need to know who you are yeah because racism is not going to change it's not going to go anywhere sex all of these things it goes in a cycle so you're going to have to have something within yourself that you can stand flat-footed and know who you are and know what it is that you do that everybody else is doing that's different. Do you know that about what you're selling? Yes. You know what it is. I know exactly what it is. The thing about me is that, and I'm going to use a trite phrase, I am very diverse. And, and the reason I say that is because you might see me at a punk rock club. You might see me at a cabaret. You might see me at Popeye's. <laughs> you might you might see me at a four-star restaurant. You just never know where I might show up. And I can identify with all of that at any given time. So because of that, I can identify with a bunch of different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. So diversity, true diversity, is one of my strengths. That's who I am. And meeting people. Yes. Meeting, because I don't advertise, but... Um, it's word of mouth and just meeting. I love meeting people. Yes. That's one of the reasons why we just have this podcast, because although I have a fashion background, I'm more interested in style. So style encompasses everything. It's where you work, what you wear, your friends, how you grew up, all of those kinds of things, because I'm interested in how you are and why you are the way that you are. Because I learned, you know, we have similarities. We may not, you know, there's always something in common. And um, so this is a blessing to be able to come here and, and to do this. So what's, where's the, the latest place that you've traveled that you've enjoyed? St. John. Of the Caribbean. Uh, I go every year uh, for two weeks. And the reason I like to go there is uh, there are places on that island where your cell phone does not work. <laughs> and, and and there's nobody else around you. You can literally go to a beach and be with, with one or two other people. So uh, you know, during the morning, of course, I answer my emails and then I go out uh, to the beach. So, yes, St. John is the my latest. Mm -hmm. Are you an avid reader? I'm not. Okay. Well, I read sales books. Just <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do read sales Is there anything new in your game? No. It's no. just redoing and Yeah, it's it's well, it's it's well, you know what's new? AI. What's AI? You know, the the uh um AI chat bots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. They're it's wonderful. Okay. It really is. I mean I've, I hate to say this, but you can you can give uh, a chatbot three or four sentences and they, they can come up with a, a, a whole biograph of you. It's really amazing. Oh. It's really amazing. I may need to do that. So I have done that with property <laughs> listing descriptions okay. and mm -hmm. things like that. It saves time also. So do you do different price ranges? So if somebody, like, say, from HPAP says, hey, this is my first home and I would love for you to represent me. Yes, I could do that. And because what I try and do is change lives. 
Um, that's that's what I do because um, my life was changed. I'll give you an example. Earlier this year, I met somebody who uh, was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, he woke up and both of his legs had been taken, severed. Okay. So he was living in an apartment that was left in a trust by his boyfriend for his benefit. The trust ran out of money. They sold it. So he had to leave. So he went to an assisted living facility in Tenleytown. So I was like, so what happened to this money that was for your benefit? Oh, they said they'll give me $1,000. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So I called the trustee and I said, well, you know, you guys, I know how much, because I track the sale. I said, I, I know that you guys have $519,000. I said, I know that. I said, so why can't you purchase? Uh, we can't afford. No, I'll find him something. So right around the corner, 17th and, and Church in DuPont Circle, I found him an efficiency apartment for $210,000 with a fee of three sixty five dollars that included everything, including cable. Mm. I said, so... Why can't you buy this? Oh, where'd you find this? I said, don't worry about where I found it. I said I would <laughs> find it. Just pay for it. I said I would find it, and I did. <laughs> so, and so that that was probably the most the that, that was the most important transaction of my career thus far. Mm. It was only two hundred ten thousand, but it wasn't about the money. It was about. It's not always about the when people have dollar signs in their eyes. That's when you lose. It's sad. I, I think. Yeah, being an advocate. Yeah, because there are always people out there that really either they don't know or they don't have the drive and they are accepting to what somebody tells them. Right. I'm not one of those people, but and you're not as well. But I think that's one of the reasons why we're here, too, is that um, we can give the information because the more information you have, the more armored you are to make better decisions and know what you have access to. Another phrase that I use frequently is better off, but not better than. Yeah. And I like being the lender and not the borrower. Yeah. Right. I like that. Yeah. I'll stick you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That was from my grandmother from the, you know, we come from an apostolic background. I was raised Baptist, but it was always the ministers would always say that when things are good, you become the lender and not the borrower. And um, that was something that stuck with me. So something that you would like to leave with our listeners that has been uh, that mantra, that something special, that someone that may be going into your career path that you would advise them to do? The most important thing for me is to get up every day with a purpose, knowing I plan what I'm going to do the day before. So when I get up, I'm not wandering around the wilderness, already know (laughs) what I'm going to do. So in my business, you have to understand how to market yourself on a daily basis and who your target audience is, Mm -hmm. you know, and your target audience will change, but you have to develop that core target audience at first. So, and who you have around you. That's right. That's exactly right. So important. Very important. Yeah. Those, yeah. yeah. You need to know why they're there. How long and for what? Like you, George. Yeah, <laughs> we've. I mean, I mean, you're you're in my sphere now. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Serendipitous, but um, 
But uh, thank you so much for coming on. You got to come back and we're going to talk about real estate more. Okay. Um, congratulations on 26 years. Thank you. Um, one day at a time. And um, how can our listeners reach you on social media? You can reach me at uh, Scott at scottpurcell.com. Okay. Is my uh, website. Okay. Um, uh, or Scott dot Purcell at L. N, letter N, F, dot com. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for tuning in to Inside Style, GC Radio 96.3 HD4. I am George Worrell, and remember, real style starts with being comfortable in your own skin. We will see you next time. Later.